Hello, friends, and welcome to Because CONCACAF, the podcast where we break down all the action and all the craziness from the Confederation of North and Central American and Caribbean Associations of Football, and sometimes the rest of the world, too. With Don Palumbo, I'm Andy Lohman, recording together in person from my apartment in Richmond, Virginia, before we go delete some Miller High Lifes in celebration of the 30th anniversary of my birth. But much more importantly, we have nerdy soccer topics to discuss. We've completed the first wave of first-round matches in the CONCACAF Champions Cup. Plus, tomorrow kicks off the inaugural CONCACAF W Gold Cup. And if we have time, we may sneak in some talk about the stadium allocation for the 2026 World Cup and an update on the Liga MX Clausura. We had a, a decent amount of because CONCACAF in the CONCACAF Champions Cup first-round matches, uh, especially in the first legs of the five matchups that we had. Second legs were mostly anticlimactic with Liga MX teams taking care of business, but we'll start with the one exception. Toluca and Herediano played their first leg in Costa Rica, specifically at the home ground of fellow Costa Rican giant Alajuelense in Alajuela. And I felt like it was over before it got started, as Herediano's John Jairo Ruiz went studs up into a dude's ankles and got a straight red card in the 10th minute. In the 16th minute, Toluca's Federico Pereira scored a golazo, hitting a shot from outside the box that swerved inside the far post. Then the lead doubled in the 59th minute as Paraguayan international Robert Morales headed home a headed pass from Carlos Orantia off a cross. Herediano got a sliver of hope in the 88th minute, a crucial sliver of hope, as David Vega made a great run and received the ball over the top from Orlando Gallo, then put a defender in the spin cycle and nutmeg the keeper to cut it to 2-1. to one. In the return leg at Toluca's monolith of a stadium, the Red Devils looked like they snuffed out that hope early on, Mauricio Isais scored in the 5th minute, and Jesus Angulo scored in the 45th minute to give Toluca a 4-1 to aggregate advantage at halftime at home. Then in the span of 27 minutes, it all came unwrapped. 57th minute, Andy Rojas in transition hits a strike off the inside of the far post and in, 4-2 on aggregate. 62nd minute, Francisco Rodriguez does like a flying karate kick thing to tip in a cross, 4-3 on aggregate. 84th minute, Toluca doesn't step up after a half clearance, and Joshua Canales remains onside and heads in a lobbed pass off the inside of the post to make it 4-4 on aggregate with the away goals advantage in favor of Erdiano, 3-1. The nail in the coffin for Toluca was Isais, who scored the opener in the fifth minute, picked up his second yellow in the 90th as they were trying to push for a winner. Erdiano will now play SV Robin Hood of Suriname in the round of 16. So we are guaranteed at least one team from outside North America in the quarterfinals. Dom, how pissed are you if you're a Toluca fan? And how ecstatic are you if you are an Aridiano fan? I don't know. Like, I still can't wrap my head around those final 25 minutes. Like, Toluca was still the much better team. Yes. And for whatever reason, switched off three times. And... Like, what? I mean, I re- I feel like we texted last night, and it was just like, what is what is happening? How is this happening? And like, it's great for the competition because I'm sure that round of sixteen tie with Robin Hood is going to be nothing but chaos, and it means we're gonna get some interesting plucky underdog guaranteed to be in the quarterfinals. Love that. Now, the winner of that tie will probably have to play Pachuca in the quarters, which can't possibly go well, but that's beside the point. It will create some level of Loyola Chicago chaos for those of you who are 
NCAA basketball fans. Bro, if I'm a Toluca fan, I'm, I'm sure if you and I were fluent in Spanish and went to some of the Mexican press clippings in that region of the country, I don't know how that dude made it to today, if he did at all. He might be dead. I mean, I think there was definitely booze. I think there was some garbage like thrown on the field like from the stands like it was not a a warm welcome off the field for Toluca to put a quantification on how much Toluca was dominating the game they held a 63 to 37 advantage in possession percentage outshot Herediano 16 to 8 and you well, made but no, but it wasn't three close. goals well it wasn't close I mean you and I texted after the first one like oh that's cute like, like good for the oh, yeah. plucky Costa Ricans for like yep. not going away and trying to make this a game. And then the second one goes in. And when the second one went in, it was kind of like, you know, that moment, it's like the old meme of you're like playing in like a video game or something, Xbox or PlayStation. And you're like, like, like right at the beginning of FIFA, you're like, I'm just going to relax today. <laughs> and then five minutes in, you like lean forward, yeah. like their second goal, it's like, Oh, yeah. Oh, wait a minute. Like That's such a perfect like this is actually happening. But even then, I'm still like Toluca will find a way to see this out. They'll probably get a third goal yeah. on the counter and and we'll keep it pushing. And then they not only did not score, they allowed a third in the strangest fashion ever. It, the the third goal, which ended up being the clinching goal, like the broadcaster didn't even you think know, it was gonna count. Because it was such a weird play that it looked offside. And there was a dude that was offside. But the guy who headed it was, like, clearly onside. And because Toluca was just, like, super half-assed clearing their lines. It was just, like, this weird jumbled mess. And they didn't, like, really get it clear. And just, like, in the chaos, it happened. And so, like, when you look at it live, like, all right, well, like, surely that was offside. And then you watch the replay and go, oh, no, he was, like, three yards onside. Right, right. They just did the thing. Yes. What do you what do you think Coach Thirty would say to to a performance like this? Like it's too big, <laughs> pissed out. Not, not really an athlete. This was, I think, I told you this before we recorded. You and I probably throw around the phrase "pissed down their leg" too often, but like this was like the quintessential. Well, because it doesn't make any it. it doesn't make any yeah. sense to me. It's like I I I switched off when it went to four one. It's like okay, you were working on the outline. I was I started like let me put the put the podcast outline together. Like this one's over. I'll watch Monterey Communicaciones later. Like what well, whatever. Like this is like the boring day. Right, right. Because like we went like I went into the I assumed that was going to be the most boring second leg of any of that them. one and maybe Monterey. Yeah. Those are the only two which were both yesterday. Right, and then lo and behold, we had the most chaos of that one. Um. I feel like if we're talking March Madness, I feel like Aradiano profiles is like an FAU. And Robin, Probably. Robin yeah, Hood yeah. Might be, I'm trying to think of what Robin Hood would be. They might be the Loyola Chicago. You're probably right. You're probably right. Although, actually, I would probably flip those because Robin Hood won the Caribbean Cup. Like, they won a competition That's to true. get in, have already won a continental competition yeah. and earned a bye to the round of 16. Like, FAU was, quote-unquote, a plucky underdog, but they still had a great year and won 30 yeah. games. Like, I think that's what Robin Hood is. Yeah. We're not expecting them to go much past where they are, but they – well, we'll talk about them more in the coming weeks as we get closer to that. But, but I think you and I are definitely – have that one circle arc. Oh, absolutely. That's going to be probably the most chaotic, the most CONCACAF round of 16 matchup possible. 
Move on to some of the other ones. The only MLS team in action to this point was Vancouver Whitecaps, who played Liga MX side Tigres. The first leg took place at one of the most CONCACAF venues possible. So BC Place, the normal home stadium for the Whitecaps, with a capacity of 54,500 people, also home to the BC Lions of the Canadian Football League. Women's World Cup matches in 2015. It's going to host some 2026 World Cup matches. Was unavailable to, to a home and garden show. Just suburban Canadian moms were browsing BC Place for ferns. I'm good. So the Whitecaps couldn't play I'm there. Good. So we instead traveled to Vancouver Island, which is west of the Canadian mainland. You have to take a plane or a ferry to get there to Starlight Stadium with a capacity of 6,000. It's home to Pacific FC of the Canadian Premier League and also a variety of rugby events. In terms of latitude, it's basically midway between Vancouver and Seattle. You could go north from Starlight Stadium and hit the United States, but it is still in Canada. Love that. The there's some cool videos of like before the game of just like the queue just like wrapped around the stadium because there's so many people. Mm-hmm. Like it's probably the biggest event this venue has ever hosted. I mean, Tigres played at a Club World Cup, right? And now we're playing at a six thousand cap yes. venue. Just incredible in terms of on-field action. Vancouver opened the scoring in the 32nd minute as Ryan Gauld hit a cross-field ball to Brian White. He headed it towards the penalty spot where, where Demir Krylock ran onto it and buried it in the corner. The Whitecaps had what looked to be a second goal, called back for offside in the 53rd minute. In the 88th, Tigres legend Andre Pierre-Gignac did what he always does, curled in a perfect free kick, top bins to tie the match, headed back to Mexico at 1-1. It was a cagey start in Nuevo Leon, but three second-half goals from Tigres made this a relatively comfortable 4-1 to aggregate win. Tigres will play the winner of Orlando City and Calvary FC in the round of 16. I think you and I said this during that first leg, and obviously it wasn't technically over at this point, but this... This matchup was over the second Gignac scored at the end of that first leg. That was unfortunately a, such a dagger. Given yeah. given the away goal rule, I think if you're Vancouver, you go to Mexico feeling much better about yourself with a win and a clean sheet. Yeah. Because then any goal in Nuevo Leon is basically worth two right. at that point in time. Whereas now one one, like you basically have to win the match outright in order to move yeah. on. And Tigres, like, a, a nil-nil draw, Tigres advances. Exactly. So they had zero incentive to play direct whatsoever. Absolutely. The first, like, half hour was just super, super key. Right, because that's just what's going to happen in a match like that. And I don't know. It's I don't, I don't even know if I can say that Vancouver necessarily played poorly. No. I think maybe they could have taken advantage of a few more of those extra opportunities in that first leg to maybe win by more than one goal. Um, I will say, although the home and garden show was stupid, the atmosphere for that first leg on Vancouver Island, I thought was phenomenal. And again, I think at least further solidified because I almost separate Mexico from soccer culture in America and Canada. I almost feel like Mexico is separate from like just the culture of just being more established. Yes. Yes. Established and having, um, a more involved and engaged fan base kind of across the board and seeing a crowd like that, I think further solidified my belief that like soccer in this part of the world is not only here to stay, but 
a nonsense competition like this <laughs> matters yeah. and is important. Yeah. And like that was, and I think you and I saw that. I can't remember what year it was, maybe 2013, 2014. When, I think it was when, 14. When Montreal at the time impact the Montreal. Yeah advanced all the way to the final and i believe lost oh, you're right. club it was, america it was 15 yeah. 2015 they lost to club america in the final and they scored i think the winner of the second leg at home in the quarters and it was like a sold out olympic yeah. stadium and it was like like the place went bananas so it's nice to see that soccer in this part of the world is here to stay and even though vancouver didn't advance i still think um, it was it was at least a decent showing from them for the most part. I'll give Mexican fans some credit to both Tigres and Chivas fans going to Forge. We'll talk about that matchup in mm-hmm. a second. There's a lot of fans of both those clubs. That's a significant journey yep. to go that yep. far north. Um, and they were there. They made their presence known. It was definitely really cool atmospheres on both of those. I, I'll start with some positives for Vancouver. I think this was a nice preview of what their front three is capable of going into MLS play. They were a decent team last year. Nothing like amazing. They only got into this competition because they won the Canadian championship. But last year, Ryan Gold, Brian White were the kind of the, the dynamic duo. Adding Demir Krylock to that from Real Salt Lake. I tweeted this out at one point, but just like the numbers from, from 21 to 23 for Gold. 23 goals, 27 assists, and a playoff assist. Brian White had 31 goals, 11 assists, and a playoff goal. And then Crylock from 2018 to 23 with Real Salt Lake, 47 goals, 24 assists, and the playoffs, four goals and an assist. These three dudes together, like that is probably in the top five most dangerous front threes in MLS. And on that, on the one goal they scored in this. All three of them combined super quickly. They're really good. I think they're going to be a team that wants to hit you on the counter, hits you in transition, and they have the guys to do it and make you pay very quickly. So that was a cool thing to witness of, because this is also Vancouver's first competitive matches of the year. Tigres is in the middle of the Liga MX season. Ongoing theme with this competition and MLS team's ability to do well in it. I thought that was an interesting and exciting. If you're a Vancouver fan, that's what I would be taking away of like this front three could be killer. What now, given given how Canadian teams can qualify, do you believe that Toronto or Montreal are going to be able to compete with them in the Canadian Championship? Or do you think, especially if they can keep this front three, do you think seeing Vancouver at this stage of this competition could be a regular thing? I think for this year at least, I think MLS teams with the, just the wonky roster rules – you can get good and bad really quickly. Mm-hmm. Toronto was horrendous last year and didn't really do much this offseason to change that. Mm-hmm. Vancouver was good last year and I think got better. Montreal was, I will say, like below average. Just on Joseph Martinez, who was a former MLS MVP, has won MLS Cups or Cup singular. So I'm interested to see what they do, though they are notorious for just like never giving coaches enough time to yeah get settled. They just love firing coaches. It's their favorite thing in the world to do. I would say Vancouver, at least for this moment, is the favorite for the Canadian championship. And given also the kind of format here, like they're the only MLS team that had to play yeah. weeks before the season starts. Right. And 
you'll note, I don't know if you caught this on the broadcast of leg one, but because MLS has 29 teams, they are not playing in the first match day. They got a buy. Oh, okay. So their season does not begin until March 2nd. Huh, How awesome. much of an impact do you think that had? And if, as we go through the competition, if MLS teams continue to advance because they're playing games, could that, I don't want to say maybe be an excuse, but could that be part of why Vancouver may have been the lone MLS team to not live up to X expectation? Yeah. I mean, not I, to mention, they also played probably the hardest opponent yeah. of every MLS team. Really tough matchup. Um, I think it's a factor for sure. I mean, you don't want to use it as an excuse because at some point you just need to kind of nut up or shut up for lack of mm-hmm. a better term. But yeah, I mean, when it's your first competitive match, like there's always going to be rust. And for all the other MLS teams it will that are in this competition, it will be their first competitive match, except Inter-Miami, who has the bye. But it's the week that MLS matches start. So like at that point, you're like, you're in it. Like you are ready to go. Or Vancouver... I mean, teams are still putting their rosters together. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure Inter-Miami has to, like, unload some cap space, like, before mm-hmm. Wednesday kicks yep. off. Yep. So you're not even, like, really – and it's – I mean, I guess it's not dissimilar to, like, Premier League teams in August where it's like, okay, the transfer window is still open. We're still kind of, like, yep. throwing stuff together. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's not nothing. You can't use it as an excuse always, but it's certainly a factor. Especially maybe when you're playing a team with the quality of Tigres. Yeah. I mean, Andre Pierre-Gignac, you could argue, has been the best player in the region over the past decade. Mm-hmm. And on the club side, at least. Like, it would be hard to argue against him. I mean, he's like yeah, a legend. Some other positives for me for Vancouver. I thought Ryan Raposo was pretty energetic along the wing. Former Syracuse Orange great all-ACC selection. I think Yohei Takaoka is a good keeper. He made some good saves. Um, I think they could... I think they should feel good about him back there. Haitian CONCACAF legend Fafa Picot was dangerous off the bench. I mean, I don't think he's an MLS starter, but just having his energy, his forwardness, his pragmatism going forward, I think is a, a nice weapon for them. So I think there's I think there's a lot to be – this result sucks. It's disappointing, especially, like, giving up that goal. Like, it's nice to get a win against Tigres. Uh-huh. Like, having – like, it's still a good showing, but the draw is tough. Um, the bad news, they squandered a lot of chances, especially in the, like in the second leg, mm-hmm. Brian White specifically did not cover himself in glory in the second leg. Like there was one really early. It was like the second minute. They didn't even get a shot off. But, like Tigres was like dicking around within the back and Vancouver for- forced a turnover and got it into the box in good position. And he just kind of well, fell over his own feet. At one point they were in transition it was kind of a two-on-one, and he could have taken a shot, he could have squared it, and he just kind of kicked into a defender. And he came back to him, and he just, like, kicked into a defender again. So that was not great. This is a guy who just got called up to the January camp. I mean, he's good. Like, we did 31 goals over the past three seasons. Maybe shaking the rust off still, but that was not fantastic. That It's going to have to be better if they want to make an MLS Cup run whatsoever. But also, on the other hand, Tigres is just so good. Mm-hmm. There's a reason they are competing for Liga MX titles. They're going to compete for this competition's title. Um, one guy that stood out to me was Jesus Angulo. Not to be confused with the Toluca Jesus Angulo. This is the Tigres Jesus Angulo. Playing like a left-back, left-center-back kind of hybrid role. Um, but made several key interceptions, like really shut down Vancouver at a couple different points. 
to me, that kind of showcases the gap in I mean, MLS teams are getting better and stronger every year, but there's still a little bit of a gap in roster construction, I think, because MLS teams are so top heavy, where Liga MX teams are a little bit more, there's a little bit more quality throughout the roster, and there's a little bit more depth, especially on the back end, and having that level of defender. It, games like this kind of comes down to it sometimes. Well, there was a, it's funny you say that. Well, not, I guess it's not funny. It's probably actually pretty normal that you say that. Anyway, there was a tweet from Taylor Twellman. I think it was after every MLS team crashed out of Champions Cup when it was the Champions League in 2013 or 2014. And he basically showed the salary construction of Liga MX sides versus MLS sides. And yes, there was a disparity between your best players and your quote-unquote worst players in Liga MX, but the gap in pay was so much smaller player to player. Whereas in MLS, you had your best players making millions of dollars. And then some of the guys at the end of your bench, like barely making 50 K. And it's like that gap in just pure spending on each player is just going to lead to a gap in quality across the way. So yeah, you could say a lot of these MLS sides may have better stars, than these league MX teams, yeah, which like I think you, is fair. Yeah. But like you said, the construction from top to bottom just has so much more team depth and team yeah. quality that, and I, I think granted how the bracket shakes out, we may not see evidence of that very often. Cause it almost feels like the top half is your Mexican half of the bracket. And then the bottom half is your American half of the bracket. But there there could be numerous instances where we see, say, in the semis and even the quarters of of what that quality gap could be, even between the best teams in League MX and the best teams in MLS. And a lot of this progress, you know, doesn't happen overnight. I think MLS teams are getting better at that. I think yeah. this offseason, a lot of MLS teams made a lot of those, you know, it's not a DP designated player, huge star level signing but it's also not a, you know, a dude who is playing college soccer making, right. you know, 60K. There's a lot of like, all right, here's a guy on 4 million. Here's a guy on 7 million. And so I think that's really promising of just like starting to build out that depth and you're starting to not to get too far down this rabbit hole. But I think the ideal position for MLS is to be kind of on that level of like the area Divisie in the Netherlands or like the Portuguese league or like the Brazilian league, I think is a right. good example of. You're not a top five league in the world. You're probably never going to be that. But if you can be that step below and be a stepping stone to those leagues and, you know, kind of punch above your weight every now and then, like that is mm-hmm. ideal. Probably not there yet. We're probably, you know, tier three or four-ish. Um, but always an interesting – it's always interesting to kind of have the litmus test of this yeah. competition too. Right. The most chaotic single result in this set of matches came in scenic northern Nicaragua. Real Esteli, the home side, who had never won a match, like a match at all, let alone a a round in the CONCACAF Champions Cup, was hosting Club America, the team with the most CONCACAF Champions Cup titles in history in an electric atmosphere. They didn't back down from the challenge either. Byron Bonilla, who has four goals in League B, in League B playing CONCACAF Nations League for Nicaragua, was lively from the opening whistle, and drew a penalty when his cross in the box hit Emilio Lara's arm. 
Bonilla took the penalty in the seventh minute and went with the Penenka, softly chipping the ball down the middle while Luis Malagón dove to his left. Grande Juevos on that one, on that move. Bonilla wasn't done, though. Right out of halftime, he floated a corner kick to the back post where Nicaraguan international center back Marvin Flites was there to head it back across goal and inside the post to make it 2-0. Club America did finally pull one back in the 90th minute as Julian Quinones cleaned up a rebound from Diego Valdez' free kick. But two, a 2-1 win for this team against a team like Club America, I would argue, is legitimately one of the biggest upsets in this competition's history. Unfortunately, back in Mexico City in the second leg, America tied the aggregate at 2-2 in the 18th minute through Jonathan Rodriguez, which was good enough to advance on away goals, but U.S. men's national team winner Alex Zendejas added the cherry on top in the 54th minute with a goal. It briefly looked like things would get interesting with a straight red card to America's Sebastian Caceres in the 44th minute for a studs-up tackle, but far downgraded it to a yellow. Um, so Club America advances 3-2 on aggregate. That Quinonez goal was super sad because it, it felt very similar to the Gignac goal for Tigres. Very much. Where so. it was just like, well, now they've got an away goal yeah. and it doesn't really matter what Realista Lee does in Azteca because they're not going to hang on to a one goal margin. Yeah. Like you feel like if you go into Azteca with a two goal lead, I feel like you you feel decent about your chances to bunker and counter. To find even you can lose by one to yeah, but like having it be a one goal difference, and especially with the away goal, you could even lose two nil and try to figure it out an extra time to a situation like that. Um, I mean, you, I think the coolest part was like you could tell at the end of that first leg how much that result meant to that fan base yeah. and the coaching staff yeah. and those players. And like you said, I mean, this is genuinely up there with like fairly Dickinson beating Purdue. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it like, like that's the one compare, the only comparison I can think of, or if like, I don't want to go that far as like San Marino beats Spain, but it it's up there with kind of, I think it's at the fairly Dickinson level. I think that's a good like. Top. Like, they are very good for Nicaragua. Yep. But they're very good for Nicaragua. Right. And the fact that they beat arguably what you could say in this competition may be the second or third overall seed. Yeah. Potentially in this competition. I mean, it's like beating Duke. It is. Or like UCLA. Yep. Or like UNC. It I is. I mean, it's, it's, it's up there. It just, it just kind of like, I will say that <laughs> – America scoring, I think, and it may have done the same for you. It at least brought me back to reality of like, yeah, yeah. ah, damn. Well, it was fun. I think I literally <laughs> thought, well, that was fun while it lasted, and not in like it's no disrespect to reality. Yeah. It's just like you're going into a lion's den. You know, I often think the same thing when I watch the UEFA Champions League, and you see, you know, back in the day, like Juventus or Barca play like a Celtic or yeah. uh, if like a Panathinaikos or whatever. And uh, it's like, who's the, the Cyprus, the Cypriot team? Apoel? Didn't they make yeah. like a quarterfinal at one point? And yeah. it's like they'll win the first leg, but give up a late goal. And it's just like, oh, they have, they have no earthly yeah. chance to do this, do they? Because um, I feel like almost for the, like for the, the big team, when you get that goal, it's a, oh, that's right. Yes. Like, we're the big dogs here. Right. Like, we, like that's right. Like, right. we can easily do like, this. And I'm sure they went back to the bus and flew home and were pissed. But, like, 
I think they also flew home knowing, okay, we now control our destiny here. If we just play a decent match at home, we're probably going to advance. And unfortunately for the sickos like you and I, that's, that's what happened. I think it also shows us the margin of error is so slim for these smaller teams against Mexican giants. And even like, you know, like if you're playing like an LAFC or an inner Miami, the American giants too. Estelle, I thought in the first leg, put on a defensive masterclass. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just a straight yeah, yeah. I agree. bunker. America had, I mean, an enormous share of possession, but through 80 minutes, they had two shots on goal. Estelle, I mean, they were blocking shots. They were stepping into passing lanes. They denied them any quality combinations. But, I mean, like you said, the, the 90th minute goal is just super deflating. But – Amazing atmosphere. I mean, the the stadium erupted. Mm-hmm. It, it was erupting before kickoff. Yeah, like you could feel. Like I'm yeah. in Virginia watching it on a weird FS2 stream on on a, on a work night. <laughs> like I'm staying up later than I should be, and I'm amped. Right. I'm like right around my living room. Like let's go. This is awesome. So Nicaragua potentially on the rise as a soccer nation. Like traditionally has not been a relevant country. Mm-hmm. National team just got promoted to League A and Nations League. Esteli is building some momentum. They qualified for this competition as runners-up in the Central American Cup, which I think was a huge thing for them. I mean, you're beating Costa Rican teams and Honduran teams who are very well established. You're Eridianos of the world. Um, to, to even get to that level, I think, for them, was a huge get for their club. John Arnold, who does amazing work, was at this game was at the first leg and he has this awesome picture. He has a newsletter. He has this awesome picture of a Esteli fan who has a tattoo for their central American cup runners up finish. That's amazing. Like that's how much that meant to them. Right. Um. So I'm all in on real Esteli going to be excited to see them going forward. At some point I, I put it on our spreadsheet. I'm going to try and find when the Nicaraguan playoffs start. Yeah, you are. Because I'm all in on that. Of course you are. So Club America uh, would face the winner of Forge FC of the Canadian Premier League and Chivas de Guadalajara. Speaking of great Canadian venues, the first leg was hosted at Tim Hortons Field in Hamilton, Ontario. Potentially the most Canadian sentence possible. Uh, Tim Hortons Field is the home ground of Forge FC, but also home to the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. Potentially an omen here. They have the longest Grey Cup drought in the CFL, last winning in 1999. This is the team that Johnny Manziel played for, if you remember that one. It's a sleepy start. It's also freezing cold up in Canada, but mm-hmm. Chivas scored on its first shot of the night in the 26th minute as Fernando Gonzalez delivered a slick no-look pass to our boy and U.S. men's national team legend, Cade Cowell, who, de- who deposited his first goal for Chivas. To their credit, Forge responded and scored on their first shot of the match in the 31st minute. Tristan Borges, who, if you are a regular listener of this podcast, will remember, scored an Olympico to win the 2023 CPL title. He played a cross for Taryn Campbell, who found space between the center backs and volleyed home the goal. It was a Kate Cowell show after that, though. He assisted on a goal in the first half stoppage time and then completed his brace in the 63rd minute to make it 3-1. If it wasn't already over at that point, Eric Gutierrez, a 2019 Gold Cup champion and World Cup player from Mexico, scored in the eighth minute in Guadalajara to really put it away. This ended up 5-2 on aggregate. So in the round of 16, we get Club America playing Guadalajara 
El Super Clasico, Mexico's biggest rivalry between its most successful teams. That is going to be electric. <sighs> That's how I feel about this tie. I yawned. It was. I yawned. It yeah, was boring. I was trying to make it. And it's it's fine. It's cool. As like it is what it is. Um, you know, you got it here. I'll let you kind of take more of the show here. But I think it was good to see Cade Cowell put in a good performance. Yeah. Again, as you texted me, whether it may have been against Canadian Milkman or not is yeah. beside the point. Um, I think for him to have a performance like that on in a meaningful match in a very important competition, I think mattered. Um, Club America is the better seeded team, I believe, over Chivas in the next round. So Club America will get that second leg at home. I mean, I'm assuming they're going to be the favorites there, but that tie should be electric nonetheless. I think we should, we'll probably see a lot of because caffeineness, especially <laughs> in so. that first leg with flares and probably some garbage being thrown on the field at some point in time, but it'll just be everything all of us want and more um honestly not too much for me to talk about here other than it was negative six degrees in hamilton ontario and you know that is what it is i do i do think club america is probably the better team between the two right now but fascinating to see that one i also was cracking up that Cade cowell a member of the u.s men's national team playing for chivas a team that famously only fields mexicans Scored his first goal for that club, Canada, in a Canadian football league stadium. Yep, you can't tell me this game isn't beautiful. Well, it's just North America all over. Just the, place. the whole thing, beautiful. Um, I, let me ask you this: Where does Cade Cowell fit into the U.S. men's national team picture this summer? The Olympics. That's what I would love to see him on the Olympics. The Olympics. I think that's it. Like, I mean, it wouldn't. I don't think it would shock me if. We saw him as maybe an outside reserve on the Copa America squad. Yep. But like given his age, given his potential, and given the nature of the senior team right now, I I mean, I think I can see him absolutely torching like Senegal in the in the <laughs> Olympics. Can't you? I absolutely can. And that is what I'm hoping for. I'm basically just trying to speak this into existence. Sure. Kate Cowell scoring a hat trick against the Dominican Republic in the Olympics. Um, my only other thing for this one, I was really impressed by his second goal. Uh, Chivas is in transition, makes like a really incisive run, points to where he wants it. Great through ball to him, shields off a defender to get the angle he wants, and then finishes with his left. Just like overall, just like a really nice show of all the skills you want out of mm -hmm. a. They've almost been playing him. They've, they've kind of played him across the front line. Chivas has like a little bit as a striker, a little bit as a wiener. So. He's kind of he's almost diversifying his portfolio, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, he had a little bit of a shaky start to his time with Chivas, but I think that's just you're in a new team, you're in a new country. It's yeah. it's nice to see him start to kind of settle in and kind of get that connection with his teammates as well. So I think K Cal right now trending positive, and he's like 20 years old. So yeah, right. perfect candidate for the Olympics. Probably the least interesting uh first round matchup came between Liga MXs. Monterrey and Comunicaciones of Guatemala. Mariados opened the scoring in the 22nd minute in Guatemala as Argentine striker German Berterame headed home a cross from Colombian international Stefan Medina. Los Cremos responded seven minutes later, though, as Guatemalan international Carlos Mejia floated in behind the back line at the back coast and headed home a cross from Steven Robles. I want to point out here that he spells his name S T. 
H E V E N. Steven. Seven. 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 Because CONCACAF, baby. Anyways, that was about the end of the excitement as Monterey scored three unanswered goals in that leg, then won the second leg 3-0 for a 7-1 aggregate thumping. They will face the winner of FC Cincinnati and Jamaica's Cavalier in the round of 16. You know what the best part of this is? The fact that we could get to see FC Cincinnati and Monterey in the next round. The Brandon Vasquez derby. If you that will. just feels delicious it absolutely and is. fc cincinnati still has yet to travel down to kingston jamaica to play at independence park against Cal- cavalier cavalier, cavalier. i said cavalry that is the cavalry is playing orlando oh, there will be a test for all the listeners yeah, on all of our obscure this was boring monterey is very very good i think you and i texted dirt sometime during that first leg and you just go I don't think Comunicaciones is good enough for this competition, to which I believe I humbly agreed. And I think that was just kind of the end of me paying attention to this matchup. And that's okay. We'll throw some because CONCACAF at you as I'm mere hours away from turning 30. Uh, Comunicaciones captain, Jose Contreras, was making me feel represented as an old person. He's 38. He's got the like because he was the captain went out for like the coin toss, just the aggressively receding hairline. Hasn't quite given it up yet and like gone full shaved head. He's clinging onto it, which I respect. Looks like me playing adult league, just chilling in the center of the field, not doing much, just trying to ping good passes, you know, not sprint too often. Of course, as this game got just super uninteresting, I'm going down a Wikipedia rabbit hole of who this guy is. 80 caps for Guatemala national team. Scored a volley and a 1-0 win over El Salvador at the 2007 Gold Cup. That's disgusting. In Carson, California. That's disgusting, Andy. I was in middle school. Uh, Monterey is incredibly good. That's the actual takeaway here. Um, They're so deep. Uh, Luis Romo as a deep-line midfielder is just crucial for them. He was having pretty much his way this whole whole tie. Jesus Gallardo as the left back. He balled out in the first leg. Hector Moreno is a legend on the back line. Captain's armband for him. Maxi Mesa, uh, our boy Brandon Vasquez up top with Bertarame. Just not a lot of holes, not a lot of weaknesses uh, mm-hmm. for Monterey. And it's we're gonna talk about the Liga MX picture, but it's it's a reason why they are competing for that title along with the likes of Club America and Tigres. If I'm an FC Cincinnati fan, probably pretty terrified. At the at yep. the thought of having to play this team not once but twice without Brandon Vasquez, correct. Uh, what Miles Robinson? Sure, and maybe Aaron Bupenza will sure get his shit together. All I'll say is I think the format of this doing five ties in their entirety and then doing the rest of them in their entirety is kind of stupid. Where I am very excited to see every other MLS team get going. I'm assuming they just did that to give MLS teams a break to get into their I'm sure they season. did. I'm sure they did. Um it's still dumb, but it's, it's okay. It's weird and awkward for sure. It is. It's okay. But what would a CONCACAF competition be without a walking Well, we're going to get into it with the W Gold Cup and their ridiculous quarterfinal format. I know that you are Match very up excited. groups? No, let's seed teams for no reason. So if you go to becausecockycalf.com, our website that we have recently launched and are trying to expand our Absolutely. regional because media empire here. Follow us on Twitter at becausecockycalfpod. Send an email at becausecockycalf at gmail.com Absolutely. if you want. 
So we have we got a couple pieces that we published previewing everything you could possibly know about the W Gold Cup that is coming up. The Spark Notes version that I will give you now. We get 12 teams split into three groups of four. Standard group stage procedure with everybody playing each other once. Three points for a win, one point for a draw. The top two teams in each group and the two best third place teams will advance to the quarterfinals. Where Dom will get into the weird seeding procedure, but everything from there is a single leg until a champion is crowned. Four of these teams are invited guests from South America, as it feels like the lines between CONCACAF and CONMEI Bowl continue to blur, which is probably not a bad thing. Plus, we'll start the proceedings with three three prelim matches on Saturday, February 17th, to determine the final participants. We're going to talk about the U.S. roster in depth, uh, then go group by group. But first, Dom, what are your just overall thoughts on this competition? What are you excited about? What are you looking forward to? More competitive women's soccer. That is what I'm here for. That is what I'm excited for. It's what I've been clamoring for, honestly, probably for me for the last decade plus. Um, I love that as a U.S. women's national team fan, we can kind of immediately wash ourselves of the disappointment that was this summer. That's a very good Whether point. this tournament goes well or not, it's nice to not have to think about what happened in Australia and New Zealand because we immediately have another tournament to watch root for and hopefully win. Um, I will say normally we just run through competitions like this and play Canada in the final and we just see who the better team is. This, this competition I think is going to be much more of a test than say normal CONCACAF competitions for this team. And I'm really hopeful that the depth of both CONCACAF and Kame Bowl get to be shown at least a little bit during during this competition because I do think, as we talked about at length this summer, the women's game is growing and it's improving rapidly. And I'm hope I'm really gonna hope that this tournament showcases that growth. To your point, it, it's just cool that we have this now. Yes. Like we We've had de facto regional championships before in the women's game, but it's always been in service of other tournaments. It's either just like the CONCACAF W championship is literally just the World Cup qualifier. We have Olympic qualifying tournaments. We never had it just for the sake of it, mm-hmm. and now we do. Like we've had a men's gold cup since 1991. Um, it's it's great to see it on the women's side now. My my big picture view leaving our friends from South America out of it because that's always kind of an interesting thing when you're a guest in a different yeah, yeah. it'd be like that's the US cool. playing in like the Asia yeah, right, Cup, right. which would be kind yeah, of yeah, fun. Exactly. Um I think there's three different categories of CONCACAF teams in this. The North American teams I think are all looking to bounce back from a disappointing World Cup cycle. So the US round of 16 exit was our worst ever performance. Canada went out at the group stage. Mexico didn't even qualify. So no one's feeling great about where they are at the moment. So I think this is going to be a really interesting tournament to see, like, all right, who can rebound, who can turn the page. I think the second category is going to be World Cup teams looking to capitalize on momentum. The World Cup in 2023 had the most CONCACAF teams in it ever with six. Um, A lot of them didn't do great, but even getting to that stage was a huge accomplishment. So that. The teams in this group would be Panama, Costa Rica, Haiti. Um, yes, it's zero wins between those three teams at the World Cup. So I think this is an interesting opportunity for them to get some wins in competitive matches, get some knockout stage experience there. 
Then the third category is prelim teams. Um, the rest of the CONCACAF teams will be playing in those prelim matches to even get into the group stage. But can any of those teams make the jump from, you know, kind of being an also ran, you know, to that second tier of being a Panama and making it to a World Cup? Maybe you don't win a match at the World Cup, but you, but you yeah, get there right. if you're El Salvador or if you're Puerto Rico. Right. Um, Guatemala, Guyana, Dominican Republic are the other ones in this group as well. Haiti is also playing in a prelim match, but they have at least had that World Cup experience. So a lot of different teams with a lot of different goals and perspectives coming into this, but I'm interested to see where, where everyone shakes out in kind of relation to their expectations. Let's talk about uh, the U.S. women's national team specifically. Twyla Kilgore will still be at the helm as interim head coach with Emma Hayes seeing out the club season with Chelsea before taking over full-time as boss. But these are the first competitive matches of the Emma Hayes era. Uh, it's a more useful roster than we saw at the World Cup. Quickly run through it. Goalkeepers, we have Alyssa Nair, Casey Murphy, and Jane Campbell. For defenders, Crystal Dunn, Abby Dahlkemper, Tierna Davidson, Casey Kruger, Emily Fox, Naomi Gurma, Jenna Nyswanger. Alana Cook was initially named to the roster by the pullout with minor knee injuries, so legend Becky Sauerbrunn is stepping into her position. In the midfield, Lindsay Horan, Rose Lavelle, Emily Sonnet, Sam Coffey, Olivia Moultrie, and Corbin Albert. And then up top, Lynn Williams, Sophia Smith, Trinity Rodman, Mitch Purse, Jane Shaw, and Mia Fischel. Um, on our preview online, I went into super detail of each of these players, you know, kind of U.S. history, U.S. women's national team history, what they're doing for their club team. I won't bore you with that here. But, Dom, what are your thoughts on the roster and the tournament more generally for the U.S.? That's the elephant in the room. Um, there's no Alex Morgan there's on no the Alex roster. Morgan. What is happening? Even though, actually, the more I thought about it, um, the more I'm okay with it. I thought she was super disappointing at the World Cup. Yep. I don't think in the – I'll, I'll even – I'll kind of leave out the December window because, as you stated on our pod in December – that window that those players kind of acted like you and I do in that time frame, like anyone Thanksgiving does, and Christmas of just, I'm ready to go home and yeah. not care anymore. Um, but at least in September, and I guess it was technically, I mean, it was late October. Morgan wasn't really clinical. She did. She can't, I don't want to say can't, but she hasn't really been the Alex Morgan that I think you and I have sort of, gone through puberty with well that sounds really weird i'm gonna get i'm just gonna act like i didn't say that you and i have grown up with like she didn't have as quick of a first step her movement off the ball was really stiff this summer i don't know if you felt the same way um even just like penalties right. where, where she would normally be automatic it was it felt like it was almost guaranteed that it wasn't going to be i'm i think i'm excited for this to be the lynn williams show like, I yeah. think I'm excited for this to be her front three. And I'm hopeful that this this is where we start to see whoever that next generation of the U.S. Women's National Team is kind of show up and make a name for themselves. Because while this may not be to a lot of fans an important competition, I will say the Nations League in its first edition did not feel that important. And then we won it. Hmm. And then it immediately had all the importance in the world. Yep. And I think if we win a competition like this, 
it can gain some importance if we beat Brazil or we beat a Colombia or or beat all three yeah. on the way to a potential trophy. I think then it could grow in its stature, especially in the women's game. Every time I see Lynn Williams play for the U.S. Women's National Team, I think to myself, I want Lynn Williams to get more playing time. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. And I thought she had a great three windows after the World Cup. I yeah. thought she was one of the few really not only not only a bright spot, but a consistent bright spot yeah. in each of those six matches. And not to rehash our Vladko Andonovsky trauma, but I think was a prime candidate that should have gotten more playing time Agreed. at the World Cup. Agreed. I'm going to be really interested to see if Morgan makes the Olympic roster. Like, is this just a acknowledgement of you're a veteran now? We can't be putting as many miles on your legs as we used to, but you're still a valuable piece of it. We're going to take you to Paris with us. Or if it's truly a, we're all in on the young guns now, which I, I don't know. I don't know the correct answer to that. I will echo your thoughts that I'm ecstatic about the youth of this group. Sophia Smith is, you could argue, one of the better players in the world already. Um, we saw glimpses of it in the fall, but Jane Shaw, the official, two players that were not on the World Cup roster, could be the future. And William, it's interesting because like Williams has been performing at a high level, especially in the, in the NWSL. Really hasn't been a women's national team factor in her career. Um, her and, and Midge Purse is interesting. She's kind of a late bloomer as well. They're almost kind of the old heads. I mean, they're like 30, but like they're kind of the old heads of the group. Um, so even though they're not like the, the exciting youth prospect, it's it's still kind of new blood and it's still very exciting. So I'm, I'm interested for that. Um, similar to Morgan, uh, who is 34, Kelly O'Hara, who's 35, is not on this roster either, was a World Cup participant on the back line. The... Uh, Another big shakeup was in midfield from the World Cup roster. No Andy Sullivan, no Savannah DeMello, who weren't bad. They're, they're good players, but were underwhelming, I would say, at the World Cup. I thought Andy Sullivan was pretty pretty poor at the World Cup. I thought – this might get two in the weeds. I thought Sullivan was good against Sweden when she was in a double pivot with Emily Sonnet. Sounds great. She was really bad against the Netherlands. I also think and pretty mediocre against Portugal. Two games that if we have a better result, yeah. then we're not playing Sweden in the round of sixteen. And I get some of that is coaching. I think a lot of but, us. But there's also an element of like you're at the World Cup and you you need to fucking perform. I think a lot of players looked worse than they are playing under Vladko Andonovsky. Now, to be fair, I don't know if Andy Sullivan is at the national team level considering the other players we have. I think Sam Coffey might be an interesting candidate to replace. Like we're, we're, we're chasing a replacement for Julie Ertz. There's a Julie Ertz-sized hole in our midfield. Andy Sullivan is certainly not the answer to that, at least not on her own. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that will also be a very interesting thing to see in this camp, how we address that uh, question. Also in the midfield, no Ashley Sanchez, no Christy Mewis. Um, the two of them had a combined one minute at the World Cup. I would argue both of them could have been impactful if they had more than that. Um, instead, we're seeing Albert, who is 20, and Moultrie, who is 18. So really gained some young guns in there. But again, for a competition like this, which is important, but you know, it's not an Olympics, it's not a World Cup, 
I'm I'm fine with that. I'm fine with throwing some young guns in there, seeing what they can do, having them in a big pressure moment, I think is a possibility. See, you say that, and I agree with you, but it also makes me feel like this is who this staff believes is our best group because mm-hmm. why would you leave out Sanchez and Mewis but bring Smith, Rodman, Haran, Laval, Nader, Dunn? Like, why are you bringing all of these seasoned studs to a tournament like this if you're going to leave out these other players? And that, to me, tells me that either their form hasn't been anywhere close to where it needs to be, which I would agree with, or that these players here, Hirsch, Shaw, Coffee, Moultrie, Albert, are who we're going to be rocking with. So I think, I think we're talking about really like the second line, like your three and maybe not, I mean, Haran and Lavelle are going to be penned into the starting line no matter what. You probably have Emily Sonnet as the kind of like the third lock-in maybe on it. And I think everyone else, like Sanchez and Mewis are good players, but they are second line mm-hmm. players. Um and even like for the forwards, like really, it's it's going to be Smith and Williams and Rodman probably are are your that's your three. three, and everyone else is a depth piece. And I think for the depth at this tournament, they've gone yeah. youth. Mm-hmm. Probably a good point. Which I I like that strategy. Looking at the back line, I feel really good about center back um, as a position. Naomi Germa was, I would say, our best player at the World Cup. Long, I mean, a lot of cooks on there, but I mean, Sauerbrunn, even Davidson, like, I think that that's good. I'm interested to see what we do at fullback. Hayes, as a coach, I think likes to shuffle people around. We have Crystal Dunn, who has been a left back for the U.S. Women's National Team, but is truly a midfielder. So, like, are we are we going to do some interesting, weird, creative stuff with Crystal Dunn as, like, a wingback? Jenna Nicewanger was listed as a midfielder when she made her national team debut is a defender on this roster and in those friendlies against China was used basically as a wing back. So I'm interested there. Like, are we going to do some creative things? Are we going to play like a three person back line? Are we going to do like five in the back with wing backs? Like, I don't know. Like that could be interesting. I don't know if I'm fully sold on Emily Fox either. Agree. I would agree with that. Um, not saying that she doesn't deserve to be here. Mm-hmm. I think she's a quality player. I'm excited to see her. I just, I'm not a hundred percent. I'm not, I don't feel like I don't feel the way about her that I feel feel about Crystal Dunn, where it's like she's in the line no matter so, what. So I'm interested to see her as now well. Now I have another a, a question before we actually get into the groups, but some foreshadowing here. Given what we know both about who is in the US's group along with the horrific quarterfinal format, it it can probably be assumed that the US will be the one or two seed. Do you want to explain the quarterfinal? Okay, ladies seed? and gents. So the way the teams are decided is the top two teams in each group, as Andy said, along with the two best third place teams will advance. They will then take those eight teams and put them into a table one through eight and seed them. The quarterfinal matchups will then go as follows one verse eight, two verse seven, three verse six, and so on. The matchups will be the one and eight plays the winner of the four and five and the two and seven plays the winner of the three and six, like everybody's favorite March madness bracket. It's dumb. We can just match up groups or it may not be done. Maybe. I mean, with three groups, it gets a little weird. Maybe it'll turn out amazing. But anyway, given that format, given that you can 
probably assume the U.S. will be the one or the two seed as long as they do anywhere close to what they're supposed to do. How much squad rotation are you looking to potentially see for the first four matches? Because given what the schedule is going to be, your first, I don't want to say real opponent, but first super difficult opponent may not be until the semifinals against a Columbia or a Canada or maybe, I mean, you may not even play, you may even be playing like say a Panama or a Haiti in the semifinals. It's tough because like, I feel like in any tournament, you want to start your best possible 11 in the first Mm -hmm. game to really set the tone. And in theory for this tournament, you'd love to rotate against the prelim team. Mm -hmm. So in in the U.S.'s case, it would be Guyana or the Dominican Republic. But we play that game first. It's like that's the ideal candidate to have like, all right, let's let's throw Olivia Moultrie out there and see what happens. But I don't know if you want to do that in your first game. I mean, I think you use all of your subs for Mm -hmm. starters. Mm Mm-hmm. Low bar to clear, but we didn't do it before right. with Vladko. Right. I think you use all your subs and you use them early. You get five and you, I think you vary them throughout. And I don't know. I mean, maybe you see when you get to playing Mexico last, Argentina is the middle game. I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's a very good question and a very, on the long list of things, it'll be very interesting to see about the Emma Hayes era is how do we approach squad rotation how do we approach just like substitution patterns um that was another point that i had like okay like this is these aren't the first matches of the Hayes era because we played the china friendlies but i don't know if i'm taking anything away from that in terms of like tactics and strategy because china was playing in a low block and we were like we also just played throwing those stuff on the wall. We yeah. just played those matches to get the ticket revenue right. and move on. So, like, this is really going to be the first instance of, like, I think a preview of what we will see at the Olympics and at World Cups moving forward. So, I think that's even if you don't care about the results of the W Gold Cup, that alone I think is interesting. Is like, okay, like, what are we actually going to look like here? Right. Shall we get into the groups? I think we should talk about some matches, talk about some games and some teams. So in the U.S.'s group, we have Mexico. Uh, I am on the wrong tab. Mexico has made three World Cups. They've never advanced past the group stage. Uh, they've missed the 2023 World Cup completely. They played at one Olympic Games, Athens 2004, advancing to the quarterfinals. My player to watch for them is for Diana Ordonez. After an All-American collegiate career at Virginia, Ordonez scored 11 goals as a rookie for the North Carolina Courage. Then three goals for the Houston Dash last season. In 18 senior caps for Mexico, she has already has nine international goals. Argentina is the poster child for a country that should have a much stronger women's team than they do, considering the resources at their disposal. They've made four World Cups, but have never won a match or advanced out of the group stage. You'll note their men's team literally just won the World Cup. So there's a gap there. Their only Olympic appearance was Beijing 2008, and they lost every match in the group stage. Uh, the player to watch is Mariana Laroquette. Uh, the Orlando Pride winner started every match of the World Cup this summer, has 22 career international goals. Guyana and the Dominican Republic will play in the prelim match to determine the final member of Group A. The DR has never even qualified for the CONCACAF W Championship, 
while Guyana made one appearance in 2010 when they got killed in the group stage. Uh, for Guyana, my player to watch is forward Annalisa Vincent. She scored three goals as Guyana won League B Group A in the road to CONCACAF W Gold Cup this fall and currently plays college soccer for the Talladega College Tornadoes. Yeah, she does. Love that team name at the NAIA level. Love whenever we can sneak in NAIA talk. For the DR, I'm going to get real biased and mention Jasmine Jackson, who just finished her freshman season at VCU, go Rams, uh, where I got my grad degree and worked for a little bit, and went to high school at Osborne Park. Yes, she did. Manassas strong, baby. Which is wonder the, if she lives in Roseberry. Roseberry right? FC. Once a jacket, always a jacket. That is the high school that produced the two idiots that are making this podcast. So I'm hoping for a hat-trick performance of Jasmine Jackson. Thoughts on Group A as a whole? Well, I think some of it can be alluded or pulled from what we already talked about is what is the U.S.'s approach going to be match to match? I think the most, maybe not important match, but the most intriguing match is going to be the very first match of the group stage between Argentina and Mexico. Yeah. I think that is definitely because I think it can be assumed that the U.S., Argentina, and Mexico are all going to thrash whichever prelim team comes in. And that's yeah. no disrespect to Guyana and the Dominican Republic. I just think it'll be great for the winner of that match to play on this stage yep. in front of this audience, yep. no matter how big or small it may be. But I think it can be assumed by us that the winner of that match is just going to go no points from nine with like a minus 30 goal difference. Yeah. And that's okay. But given that, like, you know, I'm I'm also interested to see like if you're Mexico and you beat Argentina, your second match is against the prelim winner. You could potentially go into that final match against the US, yes, needing a win to win the group, but with a chance to win the group. Yeah. Because Mexico already clinched a quarterfinal spot. Correct. Point, and yeah. Mexico has beaten the US before. Yep. I'm sure there are past matches that they can draw from to so not not and not that th that should lower the expectations. The U.S. should get nine points from nine, have a goal difference in the mid twenties, if not below thirties. To be quite honest with you, but how could that potentially not only change the dynamics of the group, but even again change the dynamics of the seating, right? Because if you're the U.S., you want to pile on as many goals as possible to have the easiest path to the final. If you're a team like Mexico and can get six from six in your first two matches, build up a good goal difference, there's a chance you could be sitting pretty as the four or the five seed and legitimately have a good outside shot to make the semis and maybe even the final, depending on how it shakes out. The U.S. mostly handles Mexico without a problem on the women's side, but Mexico did beat the U.S. in the semifinals of the 2010 W Championship, which was a, the World Cup qualifying tournament, that forced the U.S. to have to beat Costa Rica in the third place playoff just to earn the Intercontinental playoff, and they had to beat Italy to even make the World Cup. Mm -hmm. So it is certainly possible. I would agree with you that that Argentina-Mexico matchup is going to be really interesting. They're, I think they're very evenly matched teams. Take FIFA World Rankings with a grain of salt. They are flawed, but kind of on a macro level, Argentina is 31 in the world and Mexico is 35. Mm -hmm. I think that speaks to 
just how close these teams are and just kind of like where they're at. Like, I don't, I don't know who wins that game. Like, I have no idea. I think that's going to be really interesting in terms of, I think both teams will make it to the quarterfinals or easily could, but it could be the difference. I mean, to your point in like between advancing or not and crucial in season. Because I'm even thinking like if you're Argentina and your first two matches, you get no points because you start against Mexico and then play the United States like you're in danger of not moving on no matter how much you beat huh, Guyana yeah. and the Dominican or the Dominican Republic yeah. by. Right. So like if you're Argentina, a match like that could legitimately make or break your competition. Yeah. And it's the very first one. Very first one. Very first group stage match, fourth one of the entire tournament. But banners only. I also for the US, I think anything less than nine points and like a plus six goal differential would be a disappointment. Plus six? Dude, if we don't beat Guiana or the Dominican Republic by six or seven goals, I'll be disappointed. That is... I, I need this goal difference to get close to 20. I won't complain. Like, like my minimum is like, we we need to have like a plus 12 to plus 14. I think I just did that math of like, okay, we need to win every game by multiple goals. Two times three is six. Not even thinking of like, yeah, we should beat Guyana by eight. It should be eight, maybe beat Argentina by three or four, and then beat Mexico by two or three. Like that's my bar here. And maybe that's probably fair. Maybe you're, that's you're not... a little overstepping, but no, like I mean we like if, if the US wants to be the global superpower that it once was. Then that's what it needs and, to do. And soccer, not like geopolitically. Right. I didn't want to get in a weird tan- tangent there. But like, yeah, I mean we should we should be beating these teams by a million goals. All right, shall we go on to Group B? Group B is the only group with three participants from the 2023 World Cup and could potentially be four if Haiti wins the prelim match. The headliner is Brazil, who is arguably the best team to have never won a world championship, finishing as World Cup runners-up in 2007 and Olympic silver medalist twice. Probably throw like Sweden and England in that conversation as well, but that's probably a conversation for a different day. This will be the first major tournament that I have experienced as a soccer fan without the legendary Marta which is a strange thing to conceptualize. But the Brazilians know how to produce superstars, and the next one is Dabinha. She's already third in Brazilian history with 60 international goals and has had a successful career in the NWSL. She won two championships with the North Carolina Courage and is currently playing for the Kansas City Currents. Who is coached by Vladko Anskovitinovsky. So by... her career is going to die. I think he would. I, I'm, I'm just kidding. I think we've already talked about this. He'll be a I good think he's going to be coach. a good club coach. Yes. <laughs> um... Don't get me started on arena soccer. <laughs> I can talk about the Kansas City Comets. Shut up. Panama made their World Cup debut this summer, but lost all three group stage matches. Uh, you might remember Marta Cox, who scored an absolute screamer of a free kick goal against France, which we ranked as our best goal of the World Cup. But she's also Panama's most consistent goal scorer, currently playing her club soccer for Tijuana in Mexico. Colombia had their best-ever World Cup finish this summer, advancing to the quarterfinals after a 1-0 win over CONCACAF member Jamaica, who will not be at this tournament. We've beat that dead horse several times in the round of 16. Linda Caicedo spent the tournament putting everybody on notice and will be the player to watch. She'll turn 19 at the W Gold Cup, but she's already a Real Madrid star with two World Cup goals to her name. Playing in the prelim will be Haiti and Puerto Rico. Haiti made their World Cup debut this summer, and while they lost every game and didn't score a goal, they only finished with a negative four goal differential, which I thought was pretty impressive. 
Forward Narila Mondesir is the player to watch. She scored in every game for Haiti in the road to CONCACAF W Gold Cup and has 30 career international goals. She plays her club soccer for Montpellier in France. Puerto Rico has one CONCACAF W championship appearance, losing all their group stage matches in 1998. I'm going to put my bias on display once again here because my player to watch is defender and former VCU Rams great Amber Diorio, who was one of my favorite student athletes when I was in SID. She's awesome. She was twice a second team All-Atlantic 10 selection as a center back. She's only five foot five, so not the tallest, but makes up for it with intelligent positioning and a tenacity in the tackle. She's currently playing for Pumas in Mexico. Dom, your thoughts on Group B? Group of Death. I think this has to be the Group of Death. Yep. Not that a competition agree. with this few teams Three can technically groups. have a Group of Death. If but there is one, it would be this it, one. I think. I think. I don't want to like be hyperbolic and say this could be popcorn, but I think this is definitely the group with the most storylines. Yep. And I've got a few. Like I think Haiti is clearly the best team playing in a prelim match with a chance to advance to yep. the quarters. I would agree. I think this could be a chance for Colombia to potentially dethrone Brazil mm, yep. and like definitively yep. as the best team in South America. Cause Brazil didn't make it out of the group stage. Correct. Either. Correct. I also think this could be Brazil for Brazil, much like the U S a chance to rinse themselves of a disappointing world cup. Right. Yep. If they can dominate and get nine points from nine, like there's no way you can't leave a competition like this, not feeling at least a little bit better about yourselves. Um, I think there's a and in Panama or Haiti, right? Like obviously, I think Haiti has the best chance of the six and the prelims to advance, but Panama still exists, right? So for them, like a match like that could really, it's I guess it's kind of like the Jamaica Panama on the men's side of like who's kind of in that B tier, mm, yeah. who's kind of that definitive fourth or fifth best team in the region. You could even argue maybe even third best team behind Canada in the region right so i think i think this group has the most storylines i think this group is definitely going to have three teams that come from it um and i wouldn't it would not shock me if come the semis something as wild as two or three teams from group b find themselves in the final four of this tournament i'll buy that uh matchup of clearly the two best south american teams mm -hmm. in brazil and colombia in fact, this is a rematch of the 2022 Copa America Femenina final, uh, which is how these South American teams qualify for this competition. Brazil won that 1-0 uh, from a penalty that was drawn and converted by Dabinha. Um, Dabinha is not the only weapon for Brazil who plays in the w NWSL. Ari Borges plays for racing Louisville, scored a hat-trick against Panama in the World Cup this summer. That was a 4-0 win, by the way. Bia Zanaretto can be a target striker for them, plays for Kansas City, and Adriana plays for Orlando Pride as well. So they got some weapons. Of course they do. I mean, I mean they're stars. Brazilians, yeah. Well, they're star and they're stars all over the place. I mean, obviously you have Caicedo and Cox. I'm sure Haiti will have a number of players whose names we'll know at least by the end of the group stage, potentially going into the knockouts. Because to me, like I think that's even more of a storyline is which of these star players does not make it to the round of eight, right? Because if you're yeah. not, I don't like if I'm a marketer, like I want Marta Cox in the quarterfinals, right? Even if you're playing the U.S., like that's some level of a storyline. I want Linda Caicedo 
in the quarterfinals, in the semis, playing for a shot at the final, right? For Colombia, in addition to the youth of Caicedo, you also have the Wiley veteran of Catalina Usme for Colombia. She's her country's all-time leading scorer with 46 career international goals, including two this summer at the World Cup. So, Linda Caicedo is the star. She's going to be the main attraction, but don't count out kind of the depth of Colombia as well. Although, having said that, no Lacey Santos for them, who is, I thought, a stud at the World Cup. She plays for Atletico Madrid. Uh, she is injured, so that could potentially hurt their attack. For Panama, I'm interested to see if someone steps up outside Marta Cox. Like, I think she is easily their best player, but it's not going to be – it's not going to be successful if she's going to be their only goal scorer. Like, they're going to need it's, – it's almost like – it's like watching a hockey team in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Guy gets secondary scoring, baby. Right. That's the name of the game for Panama. Um, yeah, I would agree with your point that this is the group where I think a prelim team has the best chance mm-hmm. to advance. I mean, Haiti's a World Cup team. Don't count on Puerto Rico, though. They gave Mexico a run for their money in the Rosa Concacaf W Gold Cup. I was pretty impressed by their by their form there. When do oh, Colombia Brazil play in that middle match? Sheesh. That's going to be a fun one. Canada is the headliner in Group C. They are the reigning Olympic gold medalists. Much like Brazil, we are entering a new era without Christine Sinclair, the world record holder for international goals. My new player to watch is forward Adriana Leone. She's currently at Aston Villa in the FA Women's Super League in England and has 31 career international goals, including at the World Cup and Olympics. Costa Rica is coming off their second World Cup appearance in 2023, although they did not exactly impress by going winless. My player to watch for them is midfielder Rocky Rodriguez, an NCAA champion at Penn State and the 2016 NWSL Rookie of the Year. She won an NWSL championship with the Portland Thorns and currently plays for Angel City. She scored over 50 goals for Costa Rica, the most famous of which was an equalizer in a 1-1 draw with Spain at the 2015 World Cup. Paraguay may be the most random team at this competition. They've never made a World Cup or Olympics, and their best Copa America finish is fourth place, which is how they got here. Uh, Forward Jessica Martinez is her country's leading scorer with uh, 19 career international goals. Uh, Former Real Madrid player, she's currently playing for Levante Las Planas in Spain. Guatemala and El Salvador were playing the prelims in a fun Central American rivalry. El Salvador has never even qualified for a CONCACAF W championship but dominated their League B group in the road to CONCACAF W Gold Cup with six wins in six games and a plus 22 goal differential. Forward Brenda Saran, who plays for Atlas in Mexico, led El Salvador with five goals in that qualifying competition. Guatemala has had some more success at the regional level, finishing fourth at the 98 W Championship. Ana Martinez, who plays for Monterrey in Mexico, will be the best goal-scoring threat with 16 career international goals. Your thoughts on Group C? Am I allowed to say that I think the best match of this group will be that prelim match between El Salvador and Guatemala huh, it might on be. your birthday? I mean, I mean, I feel like we should just skip this surprise we've got planned for you. Go to a bar, and, ask him to throw on CBS Sports Galazzo and, and watch El Salvador and Guatemala at not Dignity Health Sports Park, the main stadium, but the practice field. Because that's where they're playing the three prelim matches. I would love that. I feel like Madison may not no enjoy no, that no, activity. No, as a no. Person. Um, I mean, 
look, I know Canada may not be what we've always known Canada to be without Christine Sinclair, but if they don't get nine for nine in this group, I would feel like that's a massive disappointment. Yeah, and again, that's nine. no disrespect to Costa Rica at all, who I think is the clear second best team in this group. Um, I think like group A, the most intriguing match of the group is probably going to be that Costa Rica-Paraguay match. If you're Costa Rica and you can get three points, you basically guarantee yourself a spot in the quarterfinals. Um, I think what makes these groups interesting, and again, while the format might be a little dumb, I'll give CONCACAF credit. The seeding, it, it makes it so that we won't know the matchups of the quarters until the group stage is over. So I'm interested to see, like, you know, if you're a Costa Rica or a Paraguay, like, do you, I don't want to say manipulate matches, but does who you may play in the quarters change how you could approach a match? I don't know. I don't know. It may, it probably, uh -oh. it, it probably, Some collusion. <laughs> it, it, def, it probably doesn't, but like, you know, could this be a situation where on goal difference, Colombia goes from the guaranteed fourth seed to like the sixth seed mm. because Mexico and or Costa Rica finish with six points, but a plus 30 goal difference because they destroyed their prelim team yeah. or as Colombia's prelim team is freaking Haiti. Right. Yeah. Could that, that, that could, that could genuinely impact. And then all of a sudden you've got Canada and Colombia in the quarterfinals. Which would be a tasty quarterfinal. Um, I will wholeheartedly agree. Got to be nine points for Canada. I think it would be a huge disappointment for Costa Rica to not advance to the quarterfinals second or third. Like if they don't advance like that, something's right. gone horribly wrong uh, for Canada. If you've seen Moneyball. I feel like we are recreating Jason Giambi like through the aggregate for them. Like you're never going to get Christine Sinclair. I was impressed by Canada in the Olympic playoff against Jamaica, which got them into this tournament, got them into the Olympics. Four goals and four different goal scorers. Leon, who we mentioned, Michelle Prince, Chloe Lacasse, and Jordan Heitzma. If they can spread the wealth out, and I feel like like I feel like Canada used to be, it was Christine Sinclair just dragging them like to success if they actually have depth now and are like a fully well-rounded out team they could be the team that wins olympic gold and competes at a high level moving forward the other thing i'm looking forward to is i mean again take fifa rankings with a grain of salt paraguay is like in the 50s range can the one of the prelim teams either guatemala or el salvador who looked pretty good in the road to conquer fw gold cup can they test Paraguay? Can they steal a win there? Like, can we assert some CONCACAF dominance? Like, that could be kind of cool. Like, yeah. That's one that I'm watching as well. I agree. And, I, like, I think it's funny. Like, would you, as, say, an outside judger of the region, like, obviously there's only four Comet Bowl teams to CONCACAF's 11 in the total 15-team field here. But, like, if you're CONCACAF, is it almost an expectation to get six or seven teams in the quarterfinals. I mean, obviously it's probably going to be hard to upend Colombia or Brazil yeah. in group B, but to me, Argentina or Paraguay could very likely not advance. I don't know how you feel about that, but how good would it be for the region in an event like this 
to invite four South American teams, two of your teams don't even make it past the group stage. Yeah, I think if you're looking at it as a region as a whole, I think you need at least you need at least five quarterfinalists, like at least one of those mm-hmm. South American teams. Like if it's four and four, yeah, that's not a great right. look. I think Brazil and Colombia are going to be pretty strongly in no matter what. If you can get one of Argentina and Mexico or Argentina and Paraguay not making it and a different CONCACAF team in, I think that's a, a win for the region. Two would be great. If, you get, if it could be 6-2 split, that'd be mm-hmm. phenomenal. I'm assuming. Or we could have Puerto Rico and Panama advance out of Group B and have all eight be CONCACAF my, teams. My, my, my eyes have rolled so far back in my head that they are in your bathroom right now. All in on Puerto Rico. I know you are. I know you are. I guess my final question is like, I think it's obvious or it should be obvious that the U.S. and Brazil are probably your two favorites in this competition. But are they your two favorites in this competition? And is there any sort of claim that Canada and or Colombia could upend one or both of those? those powers in those regions. I certainly don't think it's out of their own possibility. I mean, if you look at the World Cup alone, Colombia should probably be the favorite. They're the only team to make the quarterfinals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think Canada is dangerous. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I, I do still think USA and Brazil, honestly, I think USA is a strong favorite, but it is far from a guarantee, as we saw in well, Australia. And how important is this competition, do you think, for these for those? Because these four I are probably the favorites to make the semis, barring some crazy seeding shit where yeah. two of them have to play each other in the quarterfinals. Right. But how important is a competition like this for those four leading into the Olympics? Like, like how important is it to have a successful competition here? and make it into the semis and even into that final match. And how important do you think this trophy maybe not only is for these teams this year, but how important do you think it could become moving forward? Sorry, that was a lot of questions there. I would say not critically important to win or to have a good showing going into the Olympics, but still important. Like, I think you can have, you can lay an egg here and still have a good Olympics, but it's gonna. It would certainly help a lot, right, to carry the momentum, especially for the U.S. who needs some good results on the board. Right, I mean, we need to feel good about ourselves again. I think, um, in terms of like what this competition means, it's never gonna be. It's never gonna be the Olympics. It's never gonna be the World Cup. I think on the men's side, the Gold Cup means a lot because Concacaf teams don't win World Cups. Right? It's not a thing that happens, so it means a little bit more. Because the U.S. and even Canada and you know Brazil compete at such a high level, it's never going to be that. But I think it could be still a an important thing. I mean, it's almost like almost like winning an FA Cup if you're a Premier League team. Like you want to win the Premier League, you want to win the Champions League, but you're not not throwing a parade for the FA Cup. Right. You know, um, it certainly is going to mean more than like the She Believes Cup or. Like, like the all grave cup or whatever, like the other random one, like the invitational ones. And like, not that those don't mean anything. They're like, they're friendlies, but they're like pseudo friendlies. They're like a half step above. And it's like, yeah, we want this. Like, this is a good, important thing. But like, this is not an invitational. This is a, there are specific 
criteria to qualify for it and it is a regional championship and it, like there is a specific meaning behind it if you win this you are the best team in the region so i i think it's i think it's meaningful if you're u.s soccer and it's crazy because this leads will lead us almost essentially right into the nation's league for the men yep. if you're u.s soccer how important is the next month for your federation hmm Obviously, you have more important competitions yeah. down the line, but like, are you talking no, about like Nations League included? Yes, like if you're U.S. soccer as a whole, like if we can walk out with two trophies yes. between the men and the women, I would love that. I I struggle to completely understand what anyone at the federation is okay, thinking. It, at any okay, let them let let's 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 throw, I would love that. Let's yeah. take the capitalism out. And throw it away. And let's just say you are the general manager of U.S. soccer. Yeah. And you're looking at because I mean I'm I think I've mentioned this at nauseum over the last probably five or six podcasts that this calendar year should be one of the more important ones for U.S. soccer as a federation yeah. in recent memory because we've never had a calendar year where between our collective national teams, we can win this many senior level trophies. Yes, the Olympics on the men's side is a U23 competition, but I'm still going to consider it a senior level competition. Maybe maybe a step below a senior level competition, but it's an important trophy to win. I will give you two perspectives. One perspective is mine like the fan perspective like i want to win everything i think that would be huge if we win both nations league and the w gold cup we can be the best across men's and women's national teams like that's enormous i would love that i think you can have a stinker of a w gold cup and a stinker of a nations league and no one will remember in a decade if we win copa america and we win an olympic gold medal how likely are those last two if we put up stinkers in either of these first two competitions, though? Not probably not likely, but certainly not impossible. Sports are weird. I I I just I think being a sicko and just again clamoring for more competitive matches from the US women's national team, like I get if you're a women's national team diehard you would probably rather play Japan or Australia in a friendly. But for me, you learn the most about your team in a competition that's going to make you play four, five, and six times in a very short period of time. Because guess where you do that? At a World Cup. Yep. Guess where else you do that? The Olympics. The two most important competitions in the world in women's soccer. I think having the the Conway Bowl teams gives it a – good bit of legitimacy as well because otherwise like it's it's us in canada and maybe mexico maybe Agreed. costa rica like having other quality teams i think is crucial to the legitimacy of this i think it was a really smart move to include them well i'm i'm jazzed like i'm i'm, just, I'm jazzed to follow the three prelim matches tomorrow just as a little appetizer for the group stage i'll be driving back home to south carolina on tuesday during those opening group stage matches but we'll be following as best as i can and um, I'm excited mainly because I think this competition will give you and I an excuse to expand our coverage a little bit farther here over the next couple of weeks. It's all on the West Coast, which is a little tough for your boy's sleep schedule. Well, it's but terrible. It's absolutely awful. I am willing to, so my, the guy I share an office with, 
for my birthday has when you share an office with someone you pick up on a lot of habits and he's picked up on some of the the worst habits that i have and for my birthday bought me a 36 case of mountain dew yes he so did. yes he did i am prepared that's for my love. sleep schedule it, I mean, it, was, it was genuinely one of the nicest gifts i've ever received that's and it was love right there probably man. like a, one of the cheapest gifts that someone has given and it, like the 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 ROI on that one was pretty. Hell yeah, so it was. I felt very loved. Um, we want to talk. This is our just kind of grab bag portion of the podcast. The World Cup host <sighs> sites. I mean, we knew the host sites, yes. but like the allocation of like where finals and semifinals and and group stage matches are going to be. MetLife Stadium in scenic New Jersey will be hosting the final. Then we got what Atlanta has a semi, Dallas has a semi. Interesting because like it, it was rumored, reported that Dallas was going to get the final. And when I say Dallas, I mean Arlington, Texas. As someone who used to live in Dallas, I'm gonna go down this rabbit hole. I I lived where I lived in Dallas. From my parking lot, I could see the skyline of downtown. To get to AT and T Stadium would take me 40 minutes. I think it is hilarious that we refer to that as Dallas. It is not even. It's not remotely close. I mean, it's it's in the Metroplex, but it's. Well, it's like so, Sunday night football like when they have the Cowboys on there. Like you come back from commercial and they're throwing this, showing the. So yeah, it's not even close. That's so pan thirty miles west. So obvious. So the the very first match will be, uh, at Estadio Azteca, which is awesome. Mexico. I think that's really cool. Which is awesome. Mainly because that stadium is incredible, the atmosphere. I I mean, that's so that hosted a World Cup final in '86. I believe so. As we both frantically Google, not a ton of matches in Mexico or Canada. Though. Most of them will be in the U.S. Well, so of the two World Cup finals, 1970. So in the in, in 1986 in the knockout stages of the 16 plus 8 20, 24 28 32 of the of the 32 knockout stage matches that includes the third place match only 6 will be outside the US. Wow. And your biggest matches which I will consider your matches with the best teams in the world which is the quarterfinals and on will be Gillette Stadium, SoFi Stadium, Hard Rock Stadium, and Arrowhead for the quarters. Semis, as you alluded to, will be at AT&T and Mercedes-Benz. And then your third place will be back at Hard Rock in Miami with the final God being in MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey. I mean, shit, if Italy makes that final, (laughs) it'll be more of a home match than any of their home matches in Italy. Tommy DeVito is going to come out. Um, hundred, hundred and four matches at this World Cup. That is I bonkers. Am already bracing myself to go bankrupt just to make it to one of these. Okay, well let's let's get back on the rails and actually talk about what we were going to talk about. Like I think the, the I don't even want to say it necessarily bothers me because we live in a capitalistic state that's super corrupt and boring and so this is just what happens when you have when your country's leadership does this but you know at the og world cups like 
And even at Gold Cups, you've got classic venues, Soldier Field in Chicago with a beautiful backdrop of downtown Chicago. Copa America this year is playing a semifinal at Bank of America in Charlotte, in downtown Charlotte. The Rose Bowl has one of the most beautiful backdrops ever, right? Like, like you can see aerial views of stadiums in England and Spain and Portugal, where it's just these big monstrosities planted in the middle of these cities. When you look at American stadiums, it's just parking lots. Parking lots, baby. And and it because if you look like SoFi Stadium is not in LA, it's in Inglewood, which is not really that close to LA. Gillette Stadium is not in Boston. It's Foxborough. It's in a parking lot outside of Boston. AT&T, like AT&T Stadium has at least MetLife has I, I believe some public transportation to get to it it's the only one of these you, well atlanta atlanta's really good atlanta's in downtown it yeah. is like i have literally flown into the atlanta airport and taken mark yeah. to mercedes-benz to sarah boy Orvo. okay so there there's like that would honestly but it, like the, i don't think the capacity is as big as the other ones is yeah, the only know. thing that but limits with it. that being said i guess it just <laughs> makes me somewhat sad but that- also like no, 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 no. Here's what I'm saying. I'm, I get, be. I'm, no, no, no. I'm saying I'm sad that our biggest matches are played in stadiums that are very hard to access. Oh, yeah. That's like, if the final was in the Rose Bowl or at Soldier, Soldier Field, which to me, with the U.S. as the primary host of this World Cup, those are the only two places that should have been considered to me. Because those two places are the hubs of American soccer. That's where all the history is. Yes, maybe that's not where the Hall of Fame is. That's in Dallas or in Frisco, Texas, I guess. But that is where... (laughs) A World Cup final in Frisco would be electric. (laughs) But like those two places, to me, are the only two stadiums that should have truly been considered for that final match. And instead, we're going to play where, – where was the 94 final at? So I was looking it up. At the Rose Bowl. I was – I'm also going to say it sucks that – And I believe the opening match was in Chicago at Soldier Field between the U.S. and Columbia. Silverdome? That can't be right. We tied Switzerland in the Silverdome? Really? That hurts my soul. Eric Ronaldo with the goal. Uh okay. Well, it sucks that we don't have when you when you think of all these World Cups, all these stadiums are in the capital city. Mm-hmm. It sucks that DC does not have like obviously RFK would not work, but it sucks that the DC metro area doesn't have something to accommodate this. We didn't even get one in Baltimore. I mean, close. Like, the closest stadium to the nation's capital is Philadelphia. Yep. Yep. Which is also the closest one to me, which I'm not thrilled about. I'll have to figure something out. We're going to have to find our way down to Atlanta. See Orvos. Because I'm only three hours from there. That's true. I, uh... I'm willing to see, like, the most random... Same. Algeria, Slovenia. Sign we can be that guy on the post oh from 25. Is that a throwback? What a throwback. No one's going to get that reference. Nope. <laughs> nope. And that is okay. God, I wish I could. I wonder if I can find that picture. 
we're really going off the rails here. Um, I don't know what keywords to put into the Google machine to give me that. I don't either. I don't either. But all I'll say is I'm excited for the World Cup. I'm, again, I think we've talked again at nauseum. Like these next couple of years are going to be really exciting. It's likely that we will also be hosting the Women's World Cup in 2027, yeah. which is equally exciting. It Olympics just the year after that. Huh? Olympics in 28, Club yeah, World Cup indeed. in 25. Oh God, we got so much coming. It's just I'm never gonna buy a house. I'm I just guess, gonna buy soccer tickets. I guess it's it, it'll just never not be somewhat disappointing that the world's biggest matches aren't in stadiums that showcase the actual cities that yeah. they're in and or near. But that's okay. Did just, you see the FIFA's like release? Yes, they're not. They've changed the names well, to just well, the regions. Well, that's Austin area stadium. And like New York, New Jersey Stadium, <laughs> but like the list of like fun facts about MetLife and like the area, it's like, oh, this is the area that like this scene in The Sopranos was filmed or something like that. Or no, it was, it was, um, I think it's the, the cannoli scene in The Godfather. We're doomed. We're uh, doomed. That's a fun fact. We're doomed. Anyway, anyway, I think we've rambled for what damn near close to two hours now my only other thought is liga mx right now the parody is so much fun so similar to the nba 10 teams make the playoffs the top six are automatically in like seven through ten do kind of like a play-in thing the top six teams currently separated by sit by two points the top three are all tied on 14 points First through 10th, so all the playoff teams separated by six. Monterey, T-Grace, and Club America all have 14 points each. That is wild. All four of the, like, Gigantes, so the three Mexico City clubs, America, Cruz Azul, and Pumas, plus Guadalajara is our fourth Gigante, are all in the playoffs. You got the two new Evo Leon teams. Like, all, like, the big players are involved. There's a ton of parity. The big match from this past weekend Going into uh, match week, I believe it was six or seven, Pachuca was in first. Uh, they had 12 points, and the other three had 11. Monterey with a th- huge 3-2 win over Pachuca to pump them down. They're, they went from first to sixth. Good heavens. With one result. And now Monterey is uh, at the top of the table. Good heavens. Our, uh, I'm really glad we started this. Liga MX is I, I never thought I would follow Liga MX like this. And here we are. And MLS starts on Wednesday. Yeah. Inter-Miami and Real Salt Lake, I believe, is the opening it's match. Definitely Miami. I forget who else. I want to say Real Salt Lake. I will believe Tell you. Tell me I'm right. Um, Google it. Of all the tabs I have open, that is not one. Give me one second. But I do have the MLS schedule. It's like a bookmark. Because <laughs> I'm a nerd. That is the Champions Cup. This is really good podcasting here. Um, yes, Real it Salt is. Lake. Look at you. Yeah. But you know what is more importantly happening on that day? Mm-hmm. New England Revolution is playing Independiente of Panama. No, it is. That's, that's definitely more important. And also Orlando City and Calvary. The at both... Starlight Stadium, baby. Calvary and Orlando at Starlight. That is badass. All I'll Vancouver say Island. is both of those matches are much more important oh, significantly. for yeah. the MLS than Inter-Miami and Real Salt Lake. But that is okay, even though that match includes Messi. Either way, 
so much to come. I really feel like, I know we did an episode in January. I almost feel like this is our kickoff episode for the calendar year of 2024. Yeah. And I'm excited. And I can't wait to follow the W Gold Cup, the end of the first round of Champions Cup. You got any final thoughts other than soccer is the best or is soccer just the best? Uh, soccer is the best. Uh, follow us on Twitter. And find our website, because concacaf.com. Andy's got a couple articles up there. We've got another one coming out tomorrow. Got three on the W Gold Cup. We'll probably be covering that in the Champions Cup at nauseum at length over the next couple of weeks. We got freaking Nations League coming up in like a month somehow already at beautiful AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas. I think the next time we record, we're going to wrap up the group stage of the W Gold Cup. And also, that will be the end of the first round of Cup. I can't Cup. wait. So all of our MLS teams will have completed their ties by that point. I can't wait. It's going to be a blast. Uh, well, we're also on Reddit, if you're a huge nerd, too. Yeah, we are. Follow us everywhere. We're growing slowly, but we're growing. We're excited to be here. Excited to keep talking soccer with you guys. No matter where you may be listening, I may be listening. Thank you for making Because CONCACAF a part of your day. See ya.